Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, December 3rd, 2021. It was on this day in 1826 that Union General George B. McClellan was born in Philadelphia. He's an important figure during the American Civil War in that while he, as commander of the Army of the Potomac, the Northern Army, managed to really train the Army of the North and prepared them to fight the Army of the South. He was very reluctant, however, to use the Army, and out of frustration, not once but twice, President Abraham Lincoln fired him. He also ran against Abraham Lincoln's re-election, but was eventually defeated. And it was on this day in 1826 that George B. McClellan was born. On this day in 1960, the play Camelot, starring Richard Burton and Julie Andrews and Robert Goulet, debuted on Broadway. And in 1967, in Cape Town, South Africa, at the Groot Shure Hospital, the first successful heart transplant was performed by Dr. Christian N. Bernard on Louis Washensky. So a major development in medicine happened on this day in South Africa, in Cape Town, South Africa. But today what I want to talk about is what's been going on in the news this week as we see in the Supreme Court of the United States a landmark court case being argued before that court, the Supreme Court, that could potentially have serious ramifications for the future of Roe versus Wade. And many, of course, like myself, hope that this will spell the death knell for Roe versus Wade and that the horrendously immoral ruling, as well as many would say legally ridiculous and illogical ruling of Roe versus Wade, will join the ash heap of history along with such decisions as the Dred Scott decision and Plessy versus Ferguson as among the more despicable decisions of the Supreme Court in which the Supreme Court definitely overstepped its bounds in creating a right that doesn't exist in our United States Constitution. Now, of course, there are people demonstrating on both sides, and if Roe versus Wade is overturned and the law in Mississippi is upheld by the Supreme Court's decision, there will probably be a frenzy of reactions. The pro-abortion side will probably go absolutely ballistic in ways we can't even imagine, because for the extreme liberal left mentality, abortion is very much for them a sacrament. It is sacrosanct. It is the symbol of everything they stand for whether it's socialism, whether it's big government, abortion is that great symbol and that great sacrament, if I can use that term even loosely in this case, is that great sacrament of the left. And for those of us who are pro-life, and especially those of us who are true Americans who believe in the right to life in addition to liberty and the pursuit of happiness, certainly hope that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. But that won't be the end of the debate on abortion. And uh, next week, I will talk about the whole dynamic of the role of the Supreme Court and what a decision against Roe versus Wade and in favor of the Mississippi law will mean. It will not mean an end to abortion. Because as many people are arguing today on the abortion side, they're saying the Supreme Court has no business making abortion illegal. And if what they say is true, and they are right, at least in this case, if the Supreme Court 
does not have the power to make abortion illegal. They can't make abortion illegal. Then at the same time, they don't have the power to make it legal either. And we'll talk a little more about that next week. But this week, what I thought I would talk about is the whole question of rights, something much more basic to the issue that the Supreme Court is debating, uh, or the lawyers in the Supreme Court are debating this week, and the decision the Supreme Court must make. But the whole question of rights, we hear the term rights thrown around a lot. Of course, we have the rights that are spoken of in our Declaration of Independence, and I'll touch upon those in a minute. But we hear people also say, we have a right to privacy in this abortion debate. We have a right to an abortion. They like to use big words like reproductive rights when it comes to things like abortion. But not only abortion, we hear people say, well, I have a right to an education. I have a right to health care. And it seems that whenever there's something we want, or a large number of people want it, we suddenly proclaim it as a right. And even the church does that every now and again. For example, when it comes to the question of health care, a lot of people will say health care should be a right, not a privilege. Education should be a right, not a privilege. And if it's something we like or something we want, then we suddenly say we have a right. We have a right to free birth control, as one young college student was arguing before the Congress a couple of years ago. Some would say we have a right to food. We have a right to housing. Even the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the Supreme Court said, the Constitution does not grant a right to housing, but it should. That was her reasoning. It should grant it. I remember a few years ago that there was a, uh, a mother in, I believe it was Reno, Nevada. It was about 20 years ago. I read it in the paper. And the reason it struck me was what she was saying she had a right to. And this mother, obviously a single mother, had a son, a teenage son, who committed suicide. And obviously I'm not knocking the horrendous tragedy for this mother. Perhaps she was a single mother and now has no one. Her son is now dead. But the article was stating that she was wanting to harvest his sperm so that she could have grandchildren. And what she was saying as her reasoning is that she has a right to a grandchild. And again, just throwing that term around, I have a right to a grandchild, a right to grandchildren. And, and there are perhaps some parents we know who pressure their children. I want grandchildren. When are you going to give me grandchildren? But to say that one has a right to grandchildren, one has a right to be married. If someone has a right to be married, then provide the spouse. Someone has to provide the spouse if everyone has a right to be married. And there are ramifications for declaring these things, in some cases frivolous things, rights or personal rights, I thought I would go all the way back to the Declaration of Independence, which doesn't define the whole question of rights. I mean, we have questions of rights all the time in uh, throughout history, philosophy, and so on. But when it comes to the rights that we see spelled out in our Declaration of Independence, what are the rights that we see spelled out? Well, first of all, the Declaration says that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And these rights, first and foremost, are rights given to us by God. Not by a government, not by any other human institution, but rights are something that are given by God. Now, of course, does this mean that the right to health care, the right to education are given by God? And this is a God-given right to health care and education? I'm not saying that because what are these rights that are spelled out in the Declaration of Independence. 
they have certain unalienable rights from God, and that among these, so they're not the only ones, among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, what is it about these rights? First of all, they are innate. They are innate to our humanity. They are part of our being human. Obviously, we have a right to live. And no other right is even a factor if we don't have the right to life. We have a right to be free, to liberty. And while originally the Declaration of Independence had intended to say we have a right to property, the final draft says we have a right to pursue happiness. Note it does not say we have a right to happiness. We have a right to pursue happiness. And those three are innate to us as human beings. And they require nothing of anyone else other than respect for those rights. Someone else can't kill you because you have a right to life, a right given to you by God, who is the author of life. We can't take someone as a slave and as a nation. We grew to uh, expand that right of liberty and that understanding of liberty at great cost and great bloodshed on both sides of the debate and of all races to expand that understanding to a greater reality in this country, a right to liberty. We cannot simply deprive someone of their freedom without due cause. Because liberty is something that's innate to us as human beings. And finally, happiness is not a right, but to pursue happiness is a right. We need to be able to live and be free to pursue whatever constitutes happiness for us. And all of these don't require anything of anyone other than to respect those rights of other people. The Declaration of Independence also speaks of another right. And that right is, is centered on the fact that the government's role is to protect those rights. And when it fails to do so, we have a right to alter or abolish it. And that requires something of the government. And that is that the government respects our right to alter or abolish it. When has a government ever quietly allowed its people to alter or abolish it? Well, at the time of the Declaration of Independence, the people of this country were in the process of doing just that, and the government they were trying to abolish was resisting it. In this country, we do so with our vote, but as we see, sometimes the government that is established resists that. No one likes to be on the losing side of an election. And we have both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats, who have made claims that when they have lost an election, it was illegitimate. That's something for another podcast. But we have these rights in the Declaration of Independence. And of the most commonly known rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they are innate to our humanity, requiring nothing of anyone other than we respect those rights. But now we start expanding our understanding of rights to such things as, say, health care or education. And we declare, and in this case it's the government that is declaring we have a right to health care and education, or might even be, it might even be the church declaring that people have a right to health care and education. Here's what happens 
when you declare something external to be a right, as opposed to something internal to our humanity, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Once you describe something as that's external as a right, it therefore requires someone else to provide for that right. Not just to respect it, but to provide for it. Now, in the case of the church, it has a long history of providing for such things as education and health care, and in particular, education and health care for the poor, who could not afford it otherwise. But to call such a thing a right is perhaps a mistake. Is education a good thing? Of course it is. It lifts up our humanity. It lifts up our human dignity. Gives us opportunities that we might not otherwise have if we are not educated. Helps us to pursue happiness better. Is healthcare a good thing? Of course it is. I don't deny that. And would that everybody have it? Should everyone have it? Yes. And again, it helps us to pursue happiness better when we are of good health or know that we have care when we get sick. It is a good thing. But the minute we call it a right, especially as we understand the makeup in this country, that governments are instituted by the people to protect those rights, deriving their power from the consent of the governed, once we say we have a right to education or a right to health care, then that requires someone else to provide for that right. Now, in this country, as well as in the history of the church, we have had people who were teachers, who were happy to teach, who liked teaching, who were called to be teachers. That was their calling, that was their vocation, and that was their profession. And many people have that calling and profession today. They are happy to provide for that. But because it is so common, we have taken it for granted to the point that we call it a right. What happens when we see a shortage of teachers? When we have a right to an education? If we suddenly see we have a shortage of teachers, that means that that right to education is not being provided for some people. So does that mean, since it's a right, that we now force people to enter the profession of teaching? Because if it's a right, then we need to provide for it. If we don't have enough people to provide for it, then we have to get the number of people to provide for it. And since I have a right to education and they are short a number of teachers, then we must force some people to be teachers, perhaps against their will, in order to provide for something we claim to be a right. Same thing is with healthcare. Now, granted, there's a great incentive for many people to enter healthcare. A, they want to work with the sick. They want to care for the sick. It's something they like doing. It's something they feel called to do. At the same time, there are those who enter the medical field because it makes a lot of money. Doctors tend not to be poor unless they are charitable doctors. And so there's an incentive for many people to enter the healthcare system. But what if we see a shortage of doctors, a shortage of nurses, a shortage of practitioners? Then it becomes difficult to provide for healthcare, which we are claiming is a right. So what do we do in that case? If healthcare is a right and we don't have enough doctors, then we must force people to enter into the medical field. And how do we do that? Well, 
We require every family to provide at least one child who enters the medical field. Well, what if a family only has two children? We can't make one of them a teacher and one of them a doctor. There are other professions that are needed. Okay, so as a government, we now require that every family have at least 10 children so that there will be enough to draw from to require one child to be a teacher and one child to be a doctor so that we can provide for the rights of health care and the rights of education. You see the the landslide that this causes by calling something like healthcare and education a right. Apply it to other things, such as I have a right to an automobile, I have a right to a car, I have a right to food. That means someone has to provide for that food. And there's where we need to stop calling these things rights. Are they good things? Yes. Should people have them? Yes. Should they have them in abundance? We hope. But there still need to be people to provide these things, these externals that we call rights. But you do not have a right to a car. You do not have a right to food. Healthcare is not a right. Education is not a right. Good things, yes, people should have them. They should be provided. But the minute you call something a right, then someone else is required to provide for that. Whereas in the case of the Declaration of Independence, when we speak of rights, we speak of things that are innate to human beings. No one has to provide us with life. No one has to provide us with liberty. No one has to provide us with the pursuit of happiness. They just simply have to be respected. But the minute you call something external a right, and especially in the context of faith or even the Declaration of Independence, an inalienable right endowed by the Creator, then it requires someone else to provide for that right. And then that imposes upon their right to pursue happiness, their right to liberty. And when we say that a woman has a right to an abortion, that requires someone else to sacrifice their right to life. And what if we have a dearth of abortion providers? Well, now we have to force people to provide for that right. Perhaps people who don't want to provide it. But abortion is not a right. Let's take morality and religion out of it. If anything, abortion is a service. But if you don't have enough to provide that service, then if it is a right, Some people must step forward or perhaps be forced to provide that service because it is someone else's right. And even in the case of abortion, what does abortion touch upon? What do reproductive rights touch upon? It touches upon the fact that some people have these rights and some people don't. Reproductive rights and a right to an abortion is something people refer to as women's rights. Forget that it also takes a man to have a child. They don't discuss the rights of the father when it comes to reproductive rights. But they classify it as women's rights. And how is that different from the inalienable rights endowed by the Creator that are innate to our humanity? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are rights that every human being have. 
But reproductive rights, as they call it, are rights only women have and not men. And what do we classify those as? We classify those as special rights. And that's another term we see thrown around a lot in our society today and in our country. Special rights for certain groups. There are special rights for women. But do we hear anyone talking about special rights for men? There are special rights for people of color. But do we hear anyone talk about special rights for white people? There are special rights for people depending on their sexual orientation. But do we hear of special rights for people who are heterosexual? We see special rights for people of particular faiths and religions. But do we hear of special rights for Christians? And we become so prone to classifying special rights that we now want to associate ourselves with groups that have a plethora of special rights, and there may be groups that have no special rights whatsoever because they don't fit into these different classifications and these different groups. If a right is limited to one group or another and exclusive of other groups, are they really rights as we understand them in the Declaration of Independence? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness includes everybody. Special rights is by definition exclusive. And in addition to that, special rights, special rights clearly imply that rights are granted by a government. When people speak of special rights, they look to the government to provide it. Special rights are not spoken of as inalienable and provided by God. So the very notion of special rights is completely contrary to the Declaration of Independence's understanding of rights and therefore un-American. It is un-American to have special rights. Because as Americans, we do not believe in special rights granted by the government. We believe in equal rights granted to us by God. So given that, we don't have a right if it is exclusive of other groups of people. Justice toward different groups, yes. Those are good things. Equal rights that include minorities, that include women, that include people of all faiths. But equal rights are the good thing that America strives for. Special rights smacks of tyranny and a caste or class system in what should otherwise be a free society of equal rights for all. Special rights gives one group an edge above another. Equal rights puts everyone on the same playing field. Which brings us to another classification, because are things equal among all people? Some would argue no. Some would say that the rich enjoy special rights and special privileges because they're rich as opposed to the poor. And again, that is what America works toward. doesn't keep people from becoming successful and becoming wealthy, but emphasizes that all people 
share equally in the rights that are endowed by our Creator. And all people have those rights equally protected under law. So that when we see a rich celebrity on trial for faking a hate crime against himself, he is subject to the same judgment as anyone who would engage in the same activity. If we see a rich person engaging in grand larceny or murder or any other crime, they will face the same judicial system, justice system, that a poor person would if they committed the same crimes. We're not a nation of privilege. We're a nation of equality. And again, that is another term that people throw around. The same people who throw around terms such as special rights will also accuse other groups of having privilege while they insist on special rights for some. And as a nation, we need to stop speaking and stop thinking on those terms. And part of how we do that is to stop calling everything we like and everything we want a right that should be provided for us. The rights we have put in the, in the Declaration of Independence, expressed in the Declaration of Independence, are the rights that are innate to us as human beings. They're part of who we are as human beings. Good health is not a part of who we are as human beings because unfortunately sometimes we have bad health. Education is not a part of who we are as human beings, otherwise we would be born educated. But education and healthcare, while they are very good things that hopefully will be provided by dedicated people in those professions so that everyone can have access to it, education is not a right. Healthcare is not a right. If it were, then it would be a requirement to force someone to provide for that right, which would be a hindrance on their rights of liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And above all, abortion is not a right. If it were, then it would require for someone else to sacrifice their pursuit of happiness if they don't want to provide this service, sacrifice their liberty if they are forced to provide this service, and certainly sacrifice life, the life of the unborn child whose right to life is imposed upon by someone who claims they have a right to an abortion. If we are to call something a right, then it must be something equal to all people. We can't call something a special right for some if it deprives others of equal rights for all. So those are just my thoughts today with regard to the whole question of rights that we see bantered about over the question of abortion. Think about it and look at the Declaration of Independence because there's only one external thing that the Declaration of Independence allows for or speaks of. And that is that because governments who derive their just powers from the consent of the governed are established to protect these inalienable rights, then if that government fails to protect those rights, then it is the inalienable right endowed by our creator to abolish and or alter that government. And that government must allow us to do so. That's something that requires an external institution to acquiesce something so that we may maintain that right to alter or abolish our government, which we do whenever we have an election. And it occurs regardless of what the losing side claims about that election.
So let us rejoice in the rights that we have, but let us also reconsider what we tack the term right to. Let us reflect upon what it means to have a right to something or to demand something external as a right. And perhaps we might come to a greater understanding of what rights really are, that rights that are to be protected are rights given to us by God that are innate to our human nature as God created it. Governments are there to protect those rights, not provide for them, and they are equal rights for everybody, not special rights for some, and not quote-unquote rights that impose upon the rights of other people. That's how we understand rights in this country. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, then be sure you tell your friends, be sure to share, and thanks again for joining me, and with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.